May he have dominion from sea to sea and from the river to the ends of the earth. May all kings fall down before him, all nations serve him. Welcome back to the Dominion Podcast, episode number 34. How you doing? Good. Yeah. Yeah. We uh, we haven't said hi yet. We just kind of sat down in our chairs. Yeah. And uh, We thought we'd save it and make it more authentic. Well, the first five minutes of any conversation are always the best. Yeah. So that way... We don't even look at each other before we hit record. We just yeah. kind of sit down and start doing our thing. <laughs> let, let other people appreciate it. <laughs> My name is Jeremy Boyd. I am uh, one of your hosts here, and this is Alexander Klusterman. Good to be with you. It is good to be good to be here. Upper Forty Studios. That's right, Upper Forty, looking as good as ever. The man himself is in the room, although he is being quiet. He's a very shy, shy fella, Tristan Inglis. So I'm going to say his name, Tristan Inglis. <laughs> he's blushing over there. He's our moral support. And uh, he's also got a, a big sign in the back when we start uh, getting close to heresy. So it's like a heresy warning. Yeah. Yeah, big backlit sign that says heresy, it flashes. Yeah. Um, so hopefully we don't have to use that today. Yeah, friends don't let friends become heretics, right? <laughs> That's true. <laughs> yeah. Hey, we hey we have a, a, an official, unofficial sponsor of the podcast, though. That's right. Kawartha. Who's that? Kawartha Classical Christian School. That's right. We gave them a really great deal on on airtime. Mm-hmm. The zero percent, hundred percent off. That's the one I'm thinking. Yeah, of. yeah, yeah. So uh, yeah, Kawartha Classical Christian School. Uh, Alex and I are both involved with that in mm-hmm. various ways. Uh, Alex does a little teaching, and we're both on the board. Mm-hmm. And it's a great endeavor. So mm-hmm. I don't know if you want to tell us a little more about it, but yeah, well, tuning hearts, training minds to the glory of Christ. So it's a it's a rigorous Christian education coming from a Christian worldview where we seek to apply Christ to all of reality or understand all of reality in light of him. It's a rigorous education. We follow the classical pedagogical model. And, uh, you know, there's more information. You can just Google Gortha Classical Christian School. You'll find our website. There's information. There's some videos there. And, um yeah, so shout out to them, Principal Auger, all the staff and That's faculty, right. great people. And uh, with the the topics we've been doing recently, we are going to be doing a topic specifically on uh, education. On education. Yeah. Hopefully next week, but if not then, it'll be the following yeah. week. And we'll have uh, um, Principal Auger, uh, Rylan Auger, on with us to talk about uh, Christian education and the duties of Christians to educate their own children and make sure that they're being educated properly. Yeah. So. Yeah, looking forward to that episode. But yeah. uh, what are we talking about today? I thought we'd talk about um, how the gospel is the antidote to willful ignorance and hypocrisy. And, um, you know, we, we want to make sure the things that we're discussing, the things that we think about, the things that we prioritize in our life reflect the priorities of Scripture. Mm-hmm. And um, that's both in the in a, in a lot of the reason... Some, I mean, we all tend to avoid the difficult passages. We tend to avoid the areas that we're actually most susceptible to danger in. Yeah. And in and throughout Scripture, I mean, I've told people, I say this people often, one of the greatest kind of faith builders for me and my confidence in the Word of God and therefore in God, um, when I have my, you know, questions and, and just moments of doubt, is actually the view that it presents of humanity in its fallenness. Hmm. Uh, it, I just I just read my Bible and, and I look in, in the mirror and I just see that that is true. 
the wind, the, the the word is kind of the mirror to my soul. As as mm-hmm. Paul writes, that the word of God is sharper than any double two edged sword, right? Um, cutting between even and joint and marrow, mm-hmm. penetrating, piercing the heart, and um, to me, it's just it's it's a book that understands humanity. So yes. apart from the supernatural and the divine elements of the book, there's no other book that understands exactly. human nature. That's right. Uh, like scripture, because it was written by our creator, and who not only knows our purpose and the heights to which we have been called and, and the goal and the aim of our lives and what it ought to be, but understands the nature and the consequences of our fall. Mm. And... It so, really is one of the strongest proofs of the, yeah, uh, you know, the divine origin of yeah. scripture. In my, in my opinion, and so, seeing how it accurately describes what's going on in my own heart, yeah, and what you see in the world, yeah, yeah. and and the aim of all that, because that exists within the broader framework, is so that we might see our need and turn to Christ who provides. It's not, it's not just true. Um, and accurate in its depiction of human depravity, but it's it's glorious and hopeful in its offer of grace through faith in Jesus Christ. And um, so when we when we talk about these things, it's like you guys are kind of negative and intense. It's like, well, no, we're just trying to be biblical. And when we point out our need and uh, for grace, then we actually open up an opportunity for God's grace and to receive it. Mm-hmm. And so I thought today. Um, we would talk specifically about the human proclivity to self-deception, to willful ignorance, um, the refusal to see reality as a form of unbelief, and how the gospel is actually the antidote to that. And setting the context, the, the reason I've been thinking about this is is twofold. One, when I was in the hospital, Isaiah 30 uh, 15 was just on my mind all the time. And I was reflecting on that and how it is in quietness and rest that we are saved and through repentance and trust um, in God's salvation. And I was just meditating on the scripture and the Lord really used it to work in my life and to convict me of sin and and unbelief and in and, and what the scripture calls um, anxious toil. Uh, in vain do you rise early, you know, and go to sleep late. Um, in vain, in vain do you strive for the bread of anxious toil, and and I've I've struggled with that. So that verse really came to me. But I, it, wanting to understand that verse more, you step out into the broader context of even just the chapter, and you realize that this is um, that this chapter is speaking to something uh, profound, and it's something that is true of all of us, and that is in the face, especially in the face of danger and threat, and in the face of fear, we are tempted to respond by not looking at reality and seeking God, but actually distorting, suppressing, denying reality, and seeking to comfort ourselves um, with those who are not God. And so I, I thought today we would just talk about that, and and the kind of cultural context we find ourselves in in the last couple of days um, I've received emails from the Peterborough Public Health and from the Ministry of Education, and I've I've watched the, um, I've read the summary of the update from our provincial health officials and and our federal ones as well. 
And it's amazing that the the authorities in public health and in government and politics have totally, almost totally reverted on the fundamental presuppositions, practices, and policies that have been in place throughout COVID. And they've reverted to rational, sane, and generally accepted practices before things were politicized during COVID. Um, you know, we're no longer going to be testing healthy people, uh, which obviously many sports leagues have brought up, the NFL, yeah. the NBA. I read the health, I think the health director of the NFL saying, look, there's no asymptomatic spread here. It's all symptomatic people. Why are we testing all these healthy guys, driving our cases up, canceling games? So now they're doing something about it because it's costing money, yeah. right? Not because all the poor people and the minorities and the um, the the addicts are being destroyed, but because really rich people are losing funds now because Omicron's so spreading throughout the population. Um, so they're saying, look, we shouldn't be testing asymptomatic people, which we're not doing anymore. Um, 50% of hospitalization numbers have come out now as being people who are in the hospital for some other reason, but simply tested positive for COVID. That's a low estimate as well. That's a low estimate, but at least 50%, that's half, which means that you have been severely misled. Yes. Um, you have been intentionally deceived into thinking that hospitalizations, which is a good metric to think through, are way higher than they actually are. It, 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 there's, there's no room for any other interpretation after 18, 21 months of this that they shouldn't have differentiated between those who actually are hospitalized with COVID and those who are hospitalized for something else but having COVID. And the same is with the death rates. People are recorded as having died from COVID when they simply test positive with it, which is intentionally misleading. Um, we've been told that the public can now screen in schools and, and the general public, they can screen themselves. And if you are symptomatic, you should stay home for less of a time. So Sounds what you, like what we've what, been doing our whole lives. What do you know? <laughs> that people can actually take responsibility and when they're sick, stay home. Um, they are recognizing and verbally uh, talking about the concerns to any public health measures and how they impact uh, the other spheres of life. They're recognizing the complexity of human existence and the danger of these, these just flat policies that act as if there's only one real danger in life, and if we take care of that, we'll be safe. Mm -hmm. But there's not. So they're recognizing kids are being slaughtered throughout this, literally dying, suicide, and then a whole host of mental health issues amongst them, et cetera, et cetera. We've talked about this. Vaccine injuries. Vaccine injuries. Um, our federal health official, Teresa Tam, came out publicly and said that cloth masks are, don't work, um, that even N95 masks aren't great, because obviously the, the COVID is an aerosol particle, and it's, it, it spreads out. Everyone knows this, who wears yeah. masks, like... You need to be properly fitted with a proper one. And she's actually recommending that people wear respirators. And before we laugh, we must actually give a slow clap for her because that's that's rational. Uh, if, if, if a respirator can stop aerosol particles, then that is a rational precaution to take if you want to do that. It's not actually um, realistic, right. but, but that's rational. The whole cloth mask thing has always been a lie. And now they're coming out and acknowledging such, mm -hmm. that it doesn't prevent the transmission of this. Right. Um, and then the vaccine thing. They've, they've acknowledged by changing the definition of vaccines to providing protection from providing immunization, 
which it's always been. Mm-hmm. Um, but the vaccines do not prevent transmission. You can get it and you can spread it. And in fact, right now, the vaccinated are spreading it more. Uh, so all of these kind of lies and deception are falling down. Now, so what you're telling me is that you're not going to see anybody wearing masks, walking their dog by themselves in the park Oh, no, anymore? you're still going to see that. <laughs> yeah. um, but keep yeah. in mind that people have been fined and gone to jail mm-hmm. uh, for not abiding by the same things that now they're telling us are unnecessary or just straight ineffective. So I want to circle back in a way that's not punitive mm-hmm. and to just say um, what I've thought for a long time is that the reason... I'm thinking about Christians. The reason Christians aren't more unified on these matters, even if there's some disagreement in how to respond, uh, is not because there hasn't been clarity. It's not because it's been so difficult to know the truth. That just isn't the case. Um, I've spoken with many people who disagree with me, because almost everyone disagrees with me, because we're the minority. Uh, And I've read and I've listened to for 21 months. I haven't read or listened to or talked, and I mean this with no hyperbole, with anyone who has read or listened to a tenth of what I've read or listened to. And what I mean by that is I'm not making an arrogant claim. I'm just saying there is not, in my own experience, anyone who has looked into the actual data. And I don't mean obscure dark web websites. I mean test the claims of the people of what the people are telling you. Just test them. If you should test your pastor and what he tells you from Scripture, you should certainly test people who don't know Jesus and what they say. Yeah, um, that's just a matter of just living in this world. And I and and it isn't apples and apples. I don't read articles from people who are um, pushing full compliance, recognizing the harms of these things. People may give a shout out here and there, and you know, give a little. Uh, you know, pat on the head. Yeah, there are some bad things and we're not in total agreement or the classic is, well, they haven't done everything right. It's a way of actually abdicating responsibility. It's like, well, what if it, what they've done is evil and intentional? And yeah, and what if their motives were not good? Yeah. Because that's, that's the assumption behind that. Well, they haven't done everything right, but they're trying. Yeah. Right. And so I think as someone who I want to recognize from the outset, um, since day one, uh, you know, we we went to full lockdown right away. I think we were the first church in Peterborough to do it. Um, we were fully compliant up until June. You know, we had an amazing like we put a lot of effort into this. So we're not people who kicked at the goads. We didn't. We didn't. Uh, we did everything. I'm acknowledging that there is there is a time and a period of deferring responsibility to those who know the information isn't out there. Um, I understand that. So what I'm not doing is now circling back and condemning people who are just slow to the game mm-hmm. for that fact alone. I'm not doing that. I'm saying after 21 months, I'm talking to the people who laughed and scoffed and publicly slandered and discredited and ignored and suppressed the voice of truth as it was presented to them before their very face and eyes um, for 21 months. And now it's it's basically... All right. And I bring that up because the Bible, this isn't to, to get a W, but the Bible warns against that. And Jesus, I just I just want to read. I mean, this text is something that I've come back to, um, the words of Christ. 
And uh, in Luke 12, 56, he, he says, You hypocrites, you know how to interpret the appearance of the earth and sky, but why do you not know how to interpret the present time? Should you not judge for yourselves what is right? And what we've seen in this time from many professing Christians and leaders is sheer hypocrisy. And the reason Jesus says it's hypocritical is because they possess the faculties to look outside at the weather. And instead of using those same faculties to look and assess and to show discernment and to draw inferences about the weather, they don't use those faculties to draw inferences in other areas that they don't want to be challenged and corrected or or to deal with for a variety of reasons. So you use your abilities here and not here. Mm-hmm. That's two-faced and that's hypocrisy. And this is a profound point. Um, someone, Doug, I think, made this point about a year ago, and I've never noticed that from the text, the nature about hypocrisy. And we, we the Bible talks so much about this. And I'm going to read from Isaiah because this is exactly what was going on with Israel. This is exactly what in the New Testament we read. Paul says in the in the last days people will um, wait, you know, wander from the truth. They will gather around themselves people who will tell them what their itching ears want to hear. Like we want to be affirmed, to be comforted, to be told we're right. Mm-hmm. We don't and, want to be challenged and corrected. And at the bottom of it, there's a desire to want to believe the thing that you're believing. Yeah. Which right, isn't really which is a part no. of self-deception, and yeah. this, of course, we're we're using the political thing right now as a just sort an of example, a test, an example of this. But this happens in all aspects of our yeah. lives. Um, we want to believe something, and so we willfully ignore yeah any opposing information. Yeah, whether it's um, you know about uh, a friend or a loved one, you hear gossip, and so you willfully yeah. ignore what you you know about them in order to believe the gossip, or or yourself, or yourself. Yeah, there's there's all sorts of areas that this applies to. Yeah, and the Bible calls that folly. Mm. It, I, I think ideological thinking is how we would describe it in secular terms. And uh, anyway, so I'm gonna I'm gonna read Isaiah 30. Now the background to this is God is chastising his people, he's rebuking them, warning them, and holding out an offer of salvation. Um, Because in light of the impending threat of the Assyrian Empire, instead of going to God for help and deliverance and wisdom, um, they are seeking to form an alliance with Egypt. And And think about this. This is essentially like if if the Jews, you know, were were if World War II kind of went a different way and some of the Jews escaped and they find themselves, you know, facing another Holocaust to run back to the Nazis and say, like, protect us. Yeah. Like, like this is the, 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 um, this is a different time and context. But and there were specific, um, commands to them not to go to Egypt, specifically yeah. Egypt, because that's where they had come from. Yeah. And it's like going back to your slavery. Mm-hmm re-enslaving yourself. And this is what the first generation of Israelites did in the desert, right? They said, well, this is horrible. We got nothing to eat. You know, we had tons of meat and leeks and onions and garlic back in in Egypt. Why don't we go back there? Totally redefining reality to be all good. It's all good. Ignore that bad stuff. All that slavery stuff. All that slavery (laughs) stuff. All the miracles God did to bring us out, to show us his glory and all of these things. Forget about all that. We had good food. Yeah. Yeah. You can... It, it's humans are capable of such 
magnificent self-deception that it's mm-hmm. it almost it feels like it's fake news like when you how can you how can you forget that that happened to you and want this it's because we are so deceptive our desire for comfort for ease for affirmation our aversion to challenge to discomfort to um danger is very overpowering and apart from faith is completely overpowering mm-hmm. And that's what leads to idolatry. So I'm gonna I'm gonna read Isaiah 30 and and uh yeah. Are you starting at verse one? Yeah. So oh stubborn children, declares the Lord, who carried out a plan, but not mine, and who make an alliance, but not of my spirit, that they may add sin to sin, who set out to go down to Egypt without asking for my direction, to take refuge in the protection of Pharaoh, and to seek shelter in the shadow of Egypt. So they're they're not consulting with God, their protector, their redeemer. They're going down to Egypt instead, at, at, based on their own wisdom. Therefore, shall the protection of Pharaoh turn to your shame and the shelter and the shadow of Egypt to your humiliation. So this isn't going to work out for you, God says. For though his officials are at zone and his envoys reach Hanes, everyone comes to shame through a people that cannot profit them, that brings neither help nor profit, but shame and disgrace. Through a land of trouble and anguish, from where come the lioness and the lion, the adder and the flying fiery serpent, they carry their riches on the backs of donkeys and their treasures on the humps of camels to a people that cannot profit them. Egypt's help is worthless and empty. Therefore, I have called her Rahab, who sits still. So he's saying, look, this isn't even going to work for you. Yeah, This is a futile plan. And now go write it before them on a tablet and inscribe it in a book that it may be for the time to come as a witness forever. For they are a rebellious people, lying children, children unwilling to hear the instruction of the Lord. So not they are to be pitied and it's scary and understandable. They are rebellious, they are liars, and they are willfully refusing to hear what God says. They say to the seers, do not see And the prophets, do not prophesy to us what is right. Speak to us smooth things. Prophesy illusions. Lie to us. Leave the way. Turn aside from the path. Let us hear no more about the Holy One of Israel. Therefore, thus says the Holy One of Israel, because you despise his word and trust in oppression and perverseness and rely on them, therefore this iniquity shall be to you like a breach in a high wall, bulging out, about to collapse, whose breaking comes suddenly and in an instant, and its breaking is like that of a potter's vessel and is smashed so ruthlessly that among its fragments not a shard is found to which to take fire from the earth or to dip water out of the cistern. For thus says the Lord God, the Holy One of Israel, in returning and rest you shall be saved, in quietness and in trust shall be your strength. So I'm going to stop there. And that's the text that I've been meditating upon. I, I, I looked out at the, you know, broader context. And maybe we can, you know, make some observations um, about what's going on here. Yeah, I mean, the first question is, if they can't profit from getting help from the Egyptians, why are they doing it? You know, that's the first question i have is well normally we can understand somebody trying to gain uh, get profit while avoiding 
um, or while sinning. You know, you, yeah. you're willing to sin if you're going to get something out of it. Yeah. But they don't even do that. Well, there's the but the illusion is that they will, and that's right. what sin is. Sin always promises and under delivers, and so they 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 may sincerely believe in their just self deception that Egypt will provide meaningful help. Um, they're banking on that. They're hoping for that, and. Um, Proverbs talks, this is the way that Solomon talks to his son in the book of Proverbs, you know. He says, look, this this the shady lady, the foreign lady, um, she has lots of spices and, and uh, you know, colors, and she's tempting. But in the end, it goes down to death. You're yeah. like an ox to the slaughter. Yeah. It de- what he doesn't say is, you will feel no pleasure, right? You're not entirely wrong. Uh, but ultimately, the pleasure is not what you think it is. Yeah. Uh, behind that curtain is some is is death, right? And it's 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 actually a lie. So and this reminds me of I don't know if it's in Isaiah or Jeremiah, um, where God is comparing uh, the Israelites to a prostitute yeah. who is going to Egypt, yeah, um, but isn't even getting payment for yeah. for the prostitution. Yeah, it's like you're worse than a prostitute because you do it for free. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Well, that's what he, the logic is. Um. And it's it is crude. It's like, well, that was crude. It's like, yes, mm-hmm. what they did was was very crude, you know. And God uses the language to describe that. So they're believing the lie that they can find refuge in someone or something other than God. And in fact, this fear leads them to refuse to listen to the truth. Right? That's what it actually says. Do not see into the prophets. Do not prophesy what prophesy what is right you actually you you get an aversion to hearing bad news yeah right and in a sense we might say look there's it's not wrong to not want to always hear bad news that's not what this is talking about it's the fact that there is an impending danger that you just don't want to hear about because you don't want to deal with yeah that's it it's not just something bad is happening it's it's there's something bad is going to happen to you unless you yeah. react unless you respond to it yes but you don't want to acknowledge its existence yeah. that's what it's talking yeah. about and the, the the prophetic books are replete with examples of this yeah. especially in the life of jeremiah yeah. you see that uh, where he's constantly just threatened and um you know they try and kill him and all of this other stuff and even after they go as captives back to egypt Mm-hmm. Um, right before the uh, the exile to Babylon, um, they're still worshiping the Queen of Heaven. I don't know mm-hmm. if you've read that passage mm-hmm. or if that comes to mind uh, exactly where it is. But uh, Jeremiah, they, they go to Egypt and they're like, well, we're not going to worship Yahweh anymore because we were worshiping him in Israel and look what happened to us. Yeah. And so we're just going to worship the Queen of Heaven, which mm-hmm. is a, a false god. Mm-hmm. And Jeremiah's like, "No, that's why you're here. Yeah, you weren't worshiping Yahweh correctly. Yes, you were mixing the worship with other things." And yeah, so yeah. great examples of that all through the the yeah. prophetic books. Yeah. So so Isaiah describes their seeking refuge in Egypt as um, the result of their lying and rebellion. The words that he uses, and then they actually refuse to hear. You know, don't see. Uh, don't tell us. And I, I mean, I've experienced that over this time too. It's like people are so angry when you tell them that things are worse than they want to imagine, but they don't actually have points or facts or evidence to say no. otherwise. Um, they're just like, you're, you're being negative or something like that. But it's, but it's, yeah, we just don't want to actually hear that. Uh, but this, 
goes bad, it gets worse. Not only you're like, don't tell us, you actually desire them to lie to you, preferring the voices of comfort and affirmation, even if it's not real. He says, speak to us smooth things. Mm. Stop being so intense. Stop warning us that things are wrong. Um, tell us smooth things and even illusions. We'd prefer that you lie to us. We'd prefer to bury our heads in the sands and believe that there's nothing going on. Stick our fingers in our ear. Uh, well, this is a symptom of unbelief. It's dealing with fear in, an, in, in a very bad way. It's not going to God and being able to face reality with his strength. It's actually denying reality because you have no strength. Right. And, and, it's, and it's actually evil. Um, this isn't something just that Israel had to deal with. This is a problem we all face. I already talked about Second Timothy 4. The time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching, but having itching ears, they'll accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions and will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into the myths. And this dual, in unbelief, you start to actually resent the truth and you actually start to pursue people who will tell you what you want. Mm. Um, you like the echo changer. You like to curate the people that you'll listen to, to be the ones who affirm you, to tell you your worldview, your posture, and and presuppositions are essentially right. Like you just, we all want that. But it's it's actually a sign of immaturity and unbelief. And a symptom of, you know, a false teacher is that they'll give that to you. Woe to you who say peace, peace, when there is no peace. Mm-hmm. Um, teachers, they'll gather teachers who will say nice things they want to hear. People love to have pastors in this time who will tell them things like, I don't agree with everything they're doing, but it's not that bad. You know, we're not going to talk about the people who are dying. We're not going to talk about the oppression and the injustice. We're going to lie about the nature of oppression according to Scripture. We're going to totally ignore the vulnerable and the helpless. We're going to totally ignore the rule of law. We're going to paint a fake picture. Mm-hmm. I actually had a guy tell me, you know, uh, whether or not masks work is secondary. I.e., <laughs> I don't have a responsibility to know that. I can set that aside. I keep listening as I, because I have people who are very vulnerable in my congregation who expect to come and that there are masks. And I'm like, okay, but if they don't work, you're actually lying to that person and they they shouldn't be there or they should at least be told the truth so that they can make a risk assessment. Right. And the same person was totally willing to forbid people from worship who weren't wearing them. So you're going to lie to that person and you're actually going to forbid this person while at the same time being unwilling to know the truth. You don't care about whether they do or they don't. You just care that people are compliant. Uh, you you slaughter people's conscience. Uh, you're an authoritarian. And this is what you see with authoritarians, not to go off on... You, we have a podcast on this. Authoritarians always submit to authoritarians and are abuse their authority over others. So they look really submissive. Tyrants look really submissive to powerful people, but they are very hard on the people beneath them. Hmm. Um, anyways, it's just a... That's just a straight-up lie. If you want to tell me that you sincerely believe that cloth masks are effective and that we have a Christian duty to protect one another and that we should come together as a church and shared expectation to do that and think through how we accommodate people who can't or won't for conscience, that's a reasonable conversation. 
Yeah. Saying it doesn't matter what the truth is. We're going to let people believe it anyway. is and you can't come. Yeah. No, that's not, that's just, that's just evil. Yeah. Right. Um, so this is a problem we still face today. We just want people to tell us uh, what we want to hear. And we refuse to see. We see that the people here, he rebukes them for trusting in oppression and cunning, is what some translations say. Um, you trust in the power of authority, these authorities, because it suits you. It gives you what you want or helps you to avoid what you don't want. And you trust in human cunning and deception rather than the wisdom of God. Mm-hmm. So notice Israel actually avoided hearing from God. You didn't consult me. Yeah. You didn't ask me. And they, and they said, don't tell us what the Holy One of Israel says. Don't tell us. We don't want to know. No. Don't tell us the word. Yeah. You know, Don't tell us what God actually says. Um, they were trusting in the power of Egypt rather than to the deliverance of God, and they trusted in human wisdom over God's wisdom. Um, notice that when they do this with Egypt, they're essentially ascribing God-like qualities to them, right? That Egypt possesses the power to deliver that only God actually has. And really, Egypt was using them as a buffer against Assyria. Right. Um, and a lot of Christians have done this with the state. They've ascribed God-like qualities to the government, that they are not only all-powerful and able to keep us from risk and harm, which is just rank idolatry. And not true. And just not true. <laughs> they can't. No, they can't. <laughs> uh, but that they possess the wisdom to govern all of human life. Um, that's just unbelief, just just rank unbelief. Um, one of the things that's come up that's, that I just found shocking is uh, people's incredulity that you would um, in any way be skeptical or I'll just say cautious about claims from authority. And... I've been thinking about this and it's like, why is that? You know, if someone, um, it's almost as if, if you even ask, can you show me where your data is? It's as if you are a seditious rebel, right? And I've been thinking about this and, and like, where does this come from? And why is it a problem? And I think it's a problem. It's a gospel issue because it's essentially a form of Pelagianism. <clears throat> It's, a, it's basically saying a certain class of people, by virtue of their expertise, education, or assumption of power, are beyond, functionally, no one would say this, but functionally, beyond the criticisms that all human beings are subject to by virtue of the fall. Namely, that we are all the same and that we are prone to self-deception. Mm. We are finite, apart from sin. We're just part of our assumptions as a country— are built on not just human sinfulness, but human creatureliness. The reason you need to have limits of power and stuff like this, and you need to recognize the role of family, church, individual, is because no one person or small group of people is actually capable of creating a situation where human beings will flourish. Because we're creatures. Throw in sin on the top of that, and you have a huge mess. But So when we are like, you can't question authority. You can't doubt. Um, You actually are falling into a form of heresy that says, functionally, these people are beyond and above and and, um, immune to what all other humans are susceptible to, namely the, the fall, 
and all the sin that comes with it, and just creatureliness. And it's funny that Reformed guys love to bash on Arminians since R.C. Sproul, right, about Pelagianism, semi-Pelagianism being rampant in the church. It's like if some guy doesn't know what Ordo Salutis means, you know, he's a Pelagian, but it's like, but you people have been acting, a lot of you, like there's people who walk this earth who aren't totally depraved. So what we need to recover is that, look, all of humanity is fallen and sinful, and is capable of the same sins, and therefore we should treat them accordingly. And mm-hmm. and this is a gospel issue because if there's you're saying there's no real need, there's no need. They're not evil. They don't need to repent. They don't need someone to die for their sins. They're actual sins. Yeah, I think the other big issue with the reaction that we get to, um, you know, that incredulous reaction you mentioned. If we flip it and. <clears throat> If we were to see somebody asking those questions of God, when God says something, mm-hmm. what would we think? Well, we would think they were being unbelieving toward God, yeah, being unfaithful to God, yeah, and we would feel incredulous, yeah. So I think what you're seeing is um, where people's true, uh, where their true allegiance lies, yeah, right. And it's a you're you're being exposed to the idolatry of uh, government as God, yeah. Um, well, look at and that's that's what it is. Like when people say, "Well," and it's it's based on this this view that people could be above reproach and yeah. above this sin. If you're an expert, you're you know you're uh, you're whatever you're you don't have the same sort of strings attached that other yeah. people do. Uh, but um, also, it's that exposing the idolatry of the person who's giving the incredulous yeah. Yeah. response. And it's interesting that it, it's in this text. It's met with the flip side of that coin is not listening to God. So you're ascribing qualities to these people in power that they don't possess, but you're actually not ascribing those things to God. And, I mean, in my own experience, the same people have done horrible exegesis. And and, and not just that they dis- I disagree with them, they actually haven't done it. Yeah. I, you Surface level. You haven't read these people do a deep dive on Romans 13. You have not read these people write blogs and articles on the historical understanding uh, the church has had in relationship to various spheres of authority. You haven't read that. You, you, I know pastors who have written for big evangelical organizations about these things at their request, and then they write something which all Christians should be able to listen to on sphere authority, and they won't publish it. They actively suppress those yeah. things. Well, it's it's no wonder it's no wonder you people avoid the voice of God where he has spoken clearly on these things. It's it's perfectly consistent. You are the same people that say that we must do everything these people say, and to even question them is a sign of sedition, rebelliousness, unsubmissiveness, mm-hmm. all these types of things. And what we're advocating for is not anarchy. We're advocating for a healthy um, discernment towards ourselves. Yeah. And our proneness towards this type of thing and towards others and seeking the truth. Uh, What's evil about this is essentially what you're doing is you're saying, I'm not responsible to know. I don't have a duty to look into things. I'm God is totally fine with me remaining in ignorance because I have to because Romans 13. Yeah. And he and God just straight up will hold people accountable for that. Yeah. Yeah. People want a free pass. Um because uh, you know we're just going to trust the government on this, and 
<laughs> if it goes wrong, hey, it's 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 on somebody else. Yeah. I was just being a good citizen. Yeah. Right. And so, I mean, maybe moving towards the good news. I mean, if we're all if we're all prone to this type of thing. Yeah. Then what does God say? Well, he gives us so much good news in this well, passage. You get the bad news first, yeah. right? I mean, like our view of of mankind has to be biblically derived or else there is no good news here. Yeah. Right? Yeah. If 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 we're not dead in sin, um utterly depraved, yeah. then it's just it's just power and uh money and might that mm-hmm. make right. Mm-hmm. Right. And so in this instance, if the human response to danger is unbelief, um, you know, how we ought to respond as Christians, and everyone actually ought to respond, is through faith and repentance. Mm-hmm. And what God calls his people to in Isaiah 30 is first to seek him. You didn't seek me. The first mistake that the people of God made is that they stopped seeking God through his word. What does God say about this? What does God say about himself and who he is to deliver? If they had actually kept their eyes fixed on God and his promises that he had made to them, they would have had no fear whatsoever of the Assyrians. The fact that they are afraid and willing to idolatry, idolatrously sell themselves out to their former oppressors reveals that they had long ago stopped listening to the voice of God, which is exactly what he calls them out on. So repentance and faith looks like turning back to God's word, turning back to what he says to be true, um, doing a deep dive on the scriptures and say, give me wisdom and give me insight and give me knowledge and show me your face that I wouldn't be responding to whatever threat it is in unbelieving fear. Um, So that's where it always begins. Our sin begins with a rejection of God's word and repentance looks like a seeking of Mm. God and his word. Um, Then there's the actual trusting it, you know, God says, and in trust, you will be saved. So not only seeing, but believing what God actually says. This is the fight of faith. You know, God says this to be true. It is true. God's told his people Israel that he will preserve them, that if they are faithful to his covenant, that he will be faithful to them, that he He will will bless them. Go before them and fight their battles. Yes, and it'll go well for you. Um, And that if, and if you don't, it'll go poorly. So they're also not believing that part. Yeah. They're like, God's not going to look after us, and if we disobey him, nothing bad will happen. That's the original lie. Yeah, things are going bad. It's God's fault. Yeah. Right. Yes. Um, and trust looks like dependence. He, God repeatedly, in the end of chapter 30, offers his mercy and his grace to his people. So even in their rebellion, he offers out a hand of salvation to them, that he promises that he will, if they return, be gracious and merciful. And I mean, for us, if we've made a hash of our life in the last hour, in the last day, the last month, the last year, um, 2022 is not a new year. It's not the new start we need. You know, salvation is a new start we need. Forgiveness is the new start we need. Transformation into the image of God is the new start that we need. And the amazing thing is that through Christ, God actually offers that. God actually offers forgiveness and mercy to people who have lived in lies, who have avoided the truth, who have deceived themselves, who have begun to resent and reject those that tell them the truth. God can actually totally restore you. And uh, that that's actually good news. That's actually amazing news. And the last thing is fearing God. He closes in this chapter saying that he himself 
can destroy and will destroy the Assyrians. It's like, hey, hey, remember those guys that you were so afraid of? Uh, they're they're nothing. Yeah. And the fact that and we see that in the story of Hezekiah. Yeah. Right where they come against. Yes. Uh, yes. They come against the city. They lay siege. I mean, the the incalculable number of the army. Yeah. Uh, and then you know the angel of the Lord just destroys them. Yeah. Yeah. He says, hey, uh, you want some proof that I'm going to keep my word? Yeah. Here you go. Yeah. Yeah. The antidote to the fear of man is the fear of God. And we need to have God ever before us and to have a big vision of him. And when we fear God, we just don't fear anything else. And uh, we need to recover that. Yeah. And moving forward, whatever we face as a church, it's it's like God is the one we fear. And we have to cultivate that because you can't have both. You no. can't fear God and man at the same time. No. And we need to enlarge our fear of God. Yeah. yeah. Absolutely. Um. Well, I'm not sure if you've got anything else there. That's all I wanted to talk about with that. I mean, I just really want to encourage people to be aware of this in ourselves. We're all prone yeah. to this. Yeah, we need to we need to be able to identify when we're doing this. Yeah. And and my prayer is that the church um, in Canada would just be characterized by humility, by the fear of God, by the seeking of the truth, um, and not by suppression and resentment and anger and censorship and, you know, uh, that God would bring revival and would bring repentance. Um, maybe on a, a current events brief thing to mention, a lot of our viewers probably know that Bill C4 passed. Yes. So just to announce on January 16th, um, a lot of churches uh, will be preaching on biblical sexuality. Right. And that's actually my first week back in the pulpit. Um so tech- and your last week before yeah, you go first, to jail. No, first and last, <laughs> we were joking, because technically it will be an illegal thing to preach on. Yeah. And uh, we were joking that I've been away for months, and Ben's going to finally half sit down, and then <laughs> have to stand right back up, take the pulpit. So uh, For anybody that's not familiar with the bill C6, C4, uh, C4. that just passed, uh, the Ezra Institute has a good uh, explanation of it yeah. in one of their recent podcasts. Uh, the dividing line with James White, uh, Joe, yep. Joe Boot was on there, and I think the Ali Beth Stuckey one as well yeah. with Joe Boot. So you get a good idea of what's in the bill. Yeah, if you listen to those, it's actually it's 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 so mind blowingly mm-hmm. horrendous and tyrannical. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's hard to even describe um, how bad it is. So it's called the conversion therapy bill, which is yeah. which is totally a manipulation of language. I mean, no, everyone's no, they're all for conversion, but you're only allowed to convert one way. One way, yeah, right. So, so that's that's a podcast for another day. Yeah, so. but but you know, encourage your pastor if he hasn't. The Liberty Coalition has put out a a kind of a campaign, you know, in order to do this. And uh, again, not in not in defiance or anything, but just in reminding people that God and His Word um, govern our lives. Yeah. yeah. So like and subscribe. We're on YouTube. We're on That's Rumble. Right. YouTube and Rumble. We get more more YouTube visitors, but uh, eventually we'll probably get booted off of there. Yeah. Um, you know, once people actually start watching on yeah. YouTube, then we'll get booted off. But, yeah. yeah. But we got the Rumble site up and running as well. Great. Parallel. So I'm going to leave us with this. Actually, I'm going to leave us with a couple things from Matthew 11. Um, in regards to people who hear only what they want to hear. Uh, This is Jesus speaking of John the Baptist. But to what shall I compare this generation? It is like children sitting in the marketplaces and calling to their playmates. 
We played the flute for you, and you did not dance. We sang a dirge, and you did not mourn. For John came neither eating nor drinking, and they say, he, is a, he, is, he has a demon. The son of man came eating and drinking, and they say, look at him, a glutton and a drunkard, a friend of tax collectors, tax collectors and sinners. Your wisdom, yet wisdom is justified by her deeds. Mm. Just interesting that even Jesus couldn't make the crowd happy. They mm-hmm. always had some complaint. They had some narrative they wanted to push on him. Mm-hmm. But later in the chapter, uh, we get this uh, from Christ. And this is, this is uh, more in line with, with the gospel, mm-hmm. um, what the gospel has to say mm-hmm. is uh, this. Come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. From Alex and I, thank you for joining us and we'll see you next week on the Dominion Podcast.